When I was younger, I couldn't wait to grow up, to be independent, to do what I want, to be who I want, to no longer be bound by someone else's decisions. Because as every child knows, adults get to make the rules. And they don't have to make sense because an adult has made the rules. Now, when an adult tells a kid to do something, the adult always seems to include the phrase, because I said so, which I've really learned to appreciate. But it is no fair being a kid, is it? Right, kids? It's no fair. It's no fair. You want to be an adult. Everyone telling you what to do and when to do it as a kid. No one listening to what you have to say or why you don't want to do it. It is so much more fun to be an adult, right? <laughs> to be in charge, to be independent, to be free. Oh, that's what I used to think. And now there are days when I wish I could go back to being a kid. When someone else is responsible for the bills and the decisions and the meals and the clothing and the hard work of being an adult. But that's what comes with freedom. This, this lovely little paradox that freedom means responsibility. And anyone who thinks that being free means being free from responsibility as well is simply delusional. But that's sadly what often becomes the case for many of us adults, as well as kids who think adults have it all great. I mean, listen to this gospel passage again, but I'm changing some of the contextual changes here. Jesus said to the ones who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my church, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And we answered him, Lord, we're Americans. Freedom's is, freedom is our right. How can you tell us now that we're going to be made free? Never mind the slippery topic of truth. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, everyone who hurts another, even if only by the absence of doing good, is a slave to sin and is bound to an ideology. This slave has no place in the kingdom of heaven because they have put another kingdom above mine. Because you have put another kingdom above mine. But if I have freed you, you will know and live true freedom. Now I hope that passage sings a little bit because that was what it was meant to do. At the hearing then and as we hear it now, it was meant to evoke a little, eh. Because the gospel often comes with barbs in it. Opportunities to tear open our sin-laced facade in order to break free our vulnerable hearts. And it seems that much of our context today is laden with a kind of sin that tells us we don't need God. That we're quite well on our own, thank you very much. At least until we get in trouble. We get overwhelmed. We're faced with difficulties and death, or, or everything that we have built falls around us like a house of cards, and then we return to God. Sometimes we return shame-faced in the light of our failures. Sometimes we return brazenly demanding that God do something about this situation that we managed to get ourselves into. But so often, the change, the return, only comes when we finally conclude that our way did not get us what we thought we wanted. That the freedom we created didn't work. That adulting is too hard and we want to be children. Taken care of by someone else for a while. Not forever, mind you, because there will be a time when we want to be back in charge. 
but just for a little bit, we want God. And this is a vicious cycle that we tend to live through over and over again. We take charge, we get overwhelmed, we return to God, and then we go back out on our own again. One colleague said, we can't work ourselves into being holy. We are just working ourselves into being tired. And friends, we're tired. I'm tired. We're tired of deception, and we're tired of arguing, and we're tired of division. We're tired of loyalties pulling us in various directions. We're tired of running in 20 different directions at one time. We're tired of not taking vacation because there's too much work to do. We're tired of being afraid of getting sick because we're afraid of the health care bills that will follow. We're tired of the electric bills and the gas bills and all these other bills and the taxes. We are just plain tired. And this freedom that we all dreamed of isn't as much fun as we thought it would be. But you and I both know that's not the freedom Jesus offers. Freedom in Christ is different. It is the ability to simply tell the truth about ourselves, about the world, and about life. It's freedom to admit that we cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and nobody else can either. It's freedom to recognize that no, there is no such thing as a self-made person. It's freedom to come to terms with our privileges and our deficiencies. But it is a freedom that also comes with responsibility. Much like becoming an adult, we realize we cannot just do what we want, when we want, over against the needs of someone else. And when we do enact our freedom in that way, we're faced with the fact that not only have we hurt another, we also sell a bit of our own souls for such freedom. But the freedom God offers through Christ is one that binds us together, not tears us apart. In Christ, we are free to challenge culture, to challenge those in power for the sake of the powerless. In Christ, we're free to let go of our indulgences and keep up with the neighbor and keeping up with the neighbor so that someone else could live more fully. In Christ, we're free to no longer run in 20 directions, trying to make sure that we have fulfilled every plan and every dream and every design and every desire, thinking that that will make us happy someday. We're free to care for ourselves as we care for others, making space for things like prayer and worship and downtime and play. We're free to not have everything we want so that all have what we all need. In Christ, we're free to change and to grow, to be different than the generations before us. We had these young people today who made promises before God in this congregation, promises to be active members of the body of Christ, to help others, to engage in scripture and communion, to proclaim this good news of freedom to the world, and to work for justice and peace for all. And those are really, really big promises if you stop and think about it. They're too big for any one person to carry alone. And I guarantee that these young people will fail just as we all have failed. But it is the work of this congregation, of the whole body of Christ, to encourage one another, to help each other return to the promises that God has made to us, to walk with one another as God draws us again into a community that is free to proclaim freedom to the world. That's what it means to be the church to be free in order to be bound to one another. Because at the end of the day, freedom means nothing if we find ourselves alone, tired, and miserable. 
And that is what happens when we grasp at freedom as a right and not a gift from God, given to all the people of God for the purpose of God. So I want to share with you the story of Martin Niemöller. Most of you probably don't know that name, but maybe you've become familiar with one of his famous quotes. He says, first they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Now, Niemöller did not start out with that mindset. He was a Lutheran pastor in Berlin during World War II. He was a conservative preacher, a fervent nationalist. He saw a connection between the throne and the altar, between patriotism and spirituality. He served in the Navy during the First World War and fulfilled his childhood dream. But when Germany lost that war in humiliation, his response was a hatred, a hatred of all things liberal and democratic. Niemöller was a staunch supporter of Nazi Germany and of Hitler, and though he wasn't finally imprisoned in 1939, it was only because he objected to Hitler's interference in the Lutheran Church. He really didn't have any qualms about Hitler's other activities and decisions. Eventually, though, Niemöller had changed. His views began to change. His ideals changed. He turned away from his anti-Semitism. He repented of his personal responsibility for not resisting Hitler and his annihilation of the Jews and the people who defied him. In 1945, after the war had ended, he took his wife to Dachau to show her the cell where he had been imprisoned. And at Dachau, there was a plaque that had been erected, and it said, Here in the years 1933 to 1945, 238,756 people were cremated. He says, A cold shudder ran down my spine. It was the dates. Though he was in prison from 39 to 45, in which he had an alibi, he had an answer for all of those who died prior to that, from 33 to 39. And in the months and years that followed that time, Niemöller worked tirelessly to speak against such radical conservatism. He critiqued racism and apartheid. He became the president of the World Council of Churches, and he wrote that poem that so many of us are familiar with, the one in which our freedom from one another leads to destruction and hatred and death. And in the end, he chose to receive the gift of freedom in order to be a slave to Christ and the gospel, rather than to be enslaved by an ideology that would serve to be destructive at its core. Now, Paul tells us that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Justified by faith. To be justified is to be set free, to be restored to the capability of bearing the image of God within us. But I wonder, justified by faith, I wonder, Paul doesn't say that it's our faith that frees us. And I wonder if we've misread this for so long. I wonder if it's not so much our faith that frees us, but it's the faithfulness of Christ, because that word pistos in Greek, it means both faith and faithfulness. Maybe we have mistranslated this. And it's the faithfulness of Christ that has justified us, the faithfulness that was willing to go to the cross so that we could truly be free, free to follow him there. If Christ makes us free, then we are free indeed. 
We are free to care for each other without worrying about ourselves. We're free to welcome each other without worrying about protecting ourselves. We're free to talk to each other without fear of being vulnerable. We're free to die in Christ, with Christ, to Christ, so that we can live more fully every day without striving to save the world and save ourselves. We're free to recognize that when we are taking on too much for ourselves, that we can still prioritize all the things that are before us. God, family, community, self. And everything else falls away as extra. God sets us free to return and renew and change and reform without fear of death. God sets us free simply to live without fear, period. Amen. So I've looked up some various tweets about being blessed. Um, because, you know, with our scripture today and being blessed, it seems appropriate. So here are some Twitter posts about being blessed. Strawberries on sale at Trader Joe's. Hashtag blessed. Four green lights in a row. Hashtag blessed. It made it through the have without getting stopped. Hashtag blessed, maybe. Huskers finally just won a game. Hashtag blessed. Now, I didn't say these were recent posts. <laughs> but I'm reminded of a scene in the movie The Princess Bride in which the evil genius has used the word inconceivable just one too many times, and his henchman, Inigo, finally turns to him and says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And there we are. I do not think the word blessed means what it has been used for. It has become the tag word for what we would otherwise term as lucky, right? As if God had a hand in the situation somehow, as if God gives one wit whether our team wins or not, or strawberries go on sale, or a traffic, or the traffic benefits a driver. It gets a little more complicated, of course, when we get to today's passage. Blessed are the poor. Luke doesn't say the poor in spirit. That's in Matthew. Luke said, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are the hated and the excluded and the reviled and the defamed. Can you imagine that Twitter post where it says, living in a cardboard box, haven't eaten in two days, my best friend died and I'm about to be deported, hashtag blessed. Probably not. And to top that off, then, in this passage, we also get woes, which Matthew doesn't give us, but Luke does. Woe to those who are rich. Woe to those who are full. Woe to those who laugh. Woe to those who, with great reputations, whether they deserve it or not. We tend to read these as if God is cursing all those for whom life has gone well. Like God is saying, eh, I see your wealth, I see your happiness, you just wait because I'm going to get you. I don't think it means what you think it means. Or like the commercial where the older woman has pictures of her friends on her wall at home, and uh, she's thinking she's all tech savvy, and one of her friends says, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. That's not how any of this works. So let's break it down a little. 
first. Why would someone whose life has fallen apart be identified as blessed? Well, I think it's less about their situation and more about their opportunity. You see, when you're faced with the reality of having no control over your situation, no power, no influence, the only thing left is God. The only thing left is faith. The only thing left is hope. All delusions of control have been wiped away. And this is not an enviable position. But it is a reality. And for most of us, that's the kind of stark reality it's going to take for us to truly recognize that we're not in charge of our lives and the world, to be unburdened from the story that we are trying to tell the world about ourselves despite the truth. On the other hand, what does that mean about the woes? Does it mean that God is coming to wipe away the ease with which the rest of us enjoy life so God can get to us a little easier? No. It does mean, however, that we are often far too comfortable with our lives to make room for God, to trust in God, to live by faith. We have this tendency to believe in the illusion that we are, in fact, in charge. We believe, though probably not overtly, that we are God. That's the myth behind original sin. Adam and Eve didn't just disobey. They thought that by doing so, they would be gods themselves, that they would be in charge, that they would then have the power to decide what is good and evil for themselves, and good and evil depended, of course, on what benefits them at the time. Woe to you who are rich, who are full, who have no troubles, who rely on your reputation, because we all know it only takes one moment for all that to change. It only takes one decision to lose it all. Woe to you, for you believe in the lie that life is only for those who deserve it, that you have and have no need to trust in anyone but yourself, because you will find that one day you'll look for God and you won't know what you're looking for. You won't recognize God standing right before you. So I think this sermon of Jesus is a wake-up call to all of us to look beyond our immediate circumstances and see the common denominator in all of us. The face of Christ, the love of God, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The person standing on the corner with a cardboard sign is no worse a person than the CEO of a corporation. The hard-working middle-class father is no better a person than the mother slowly making her way from Guatemala to America with a child in tow. The transgender student is no less a child of God than the football quarterback. But it won't be until we're willing to let go and to let God turn our perverse sense of entitlement and justification upside down and inside out that we can finally recognize God's presence and trust in God and not ourselves. And while that might sound terrifying to all of us who seem to have a decent handle on life, at least for the moment, the truth is that the life God offers us is so much more than what we have right now. How many of us struggle to enjoy what we have because we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop? How many of us find ourselves living on the edge of despair and depression or in the grips of anger and anxiety? How often do you put on a face to go out in public 
that defies what's truly going on inside of you. Unburdened, Jesus says, are those who are free to be who they are, both broken and blessed, both sinner and saint, because if that is you, you are in the position where God can work wonders in you. But wake up, those of us who believe that we're better, or that we're all put together, or that we're in charge of our destiny, for one day when the curtain is pulled away and the face of God stares back at us, we will be both devastated and relieved to see the face of the very imperfection and brokenness that we have despised in ourselves and others. And when that happens, when that curtain is pulled back and we are face to face with God, we'll find that the only constancy in life hasn't been wealth or power or influence or reputation or happiness or even family. The only constancy in which we can truly and completely put our trust is God's abundant love. God's love for us, God's love for those we love, God's love for those we hate. God's love for both the sinner and the saint within us. God's love for both the broken and the woe-filled as well as the blessed inside us. And then, on that day, perhaps for the first time ever, we will know what it means to be blessed. Amen. I invite you please to stand. When I was younger, I couldn't wait to grow up, to be independent, to do what I want, to be who I want, to no longer be bound by someone else's decisions. Because as every child knows, adults get to make the rules. And they don't have to make sense because an adult has made the rules. Now, when an adult tells a kid to do something, the adult always seems to include the phrase, because I said so, which I've really learned to appreciate. But it is no fair being a kid, is it? Right, kids? It's no fair. It's no fair. You want to be an adult. Everyone telling you what to do and when to do it as a kid. No one listening to what you have to say or why you don't want to do it. It is so much more fun to be an adult, right? <laughs> to be in charge, to be independent, to be free. Oh, well, that's what I used to think. And now there are days when I wish I could go back to being a kid. When someone else is responsible for the bills and the decisions and the meals and the clothing and the hard work of being an adult. But that's what comes with freedom. This, this lovely little paradox that freedom means responsibility. And anyone who thinks that being free means being free from responsibility as well is simply delusional. But that's sadly what often becomes the case for many of us adults, as well as kids who think adults have it all great. I mean, listen to this gospel passage again, but I'm changing some of the contextual changes here. Jesus said to the ones who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my church, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And we answered him, Lord, we're Americans. Freedom's is, freedom is our right. How can you tell us now that we're going to be made free? Never mind the slippery topic of truth. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, Everyone who hurts another, even if only by the absence of doing good, is a slave to sin and is bound to an ideology. 
This slave has no place in the kingdom of heaven because they have put another kingdom above mine. Because you have put another kingdom above mine. But if I have freed you, you will know and live true freedom. Now I hope that passage sings a little bit because that was what it was meant to do. At the hearing then and as we hear it now, it was meant to evoke a little eh. Because the gospel often comes with barbs in it. Opportunities to tear open our sin-laced facade in order to break free our vulnerable hearts. And it seems that much of our context today is laden with a kind of sin that tells us we don't need God. That we're quite well on our own, thank you very much. At least until we get in trouble. We get overwhelmed. We're faced with difficulties and death, or everything that we have built falls around us like a house of cards, and then we return to God. Sometimes we return shame-faced in the light of our failures. Sometimes we return brazenly demanding that God do something about this situation that we manage to get ourselves into. But so often, the change, the return, only comes when we finally conclude that our way did not get us what we thought we wanted, that the freedom we created didn't work, that adulting is too hard, and we want to be children, taken care of by someone else for a while. Not forever, mind you, because there will be a time when we want to be back in charge, but just for a little bit, we want God. And this is a vicious cycle that we tend to live through over and over again. We take charge, we get overwhelmed, we return to God, and then we go back out on our own again. One colleague said, we can't work ourselves into being holy. We are just working ourselves into being tired. And friends, we're tired. I'm tired. We're tired of deception, and we're tired of arguing, and we're tired of division. We're tired of loyalties pulling us in various directions. We're tired of running in 20 different directions at one time. We're tired of not taking vacation because there's too much work to do. We're tired of being afraid of getting sick because we're afraid of the health care bills that will follow. We're tired of the electric bills and the gas bills and all these other bills and the taxes. We are just plain tired. And this freedom that we all dreamed of isn't as much fun as we thought it would be. But you and I both know that's not the freedom Jesus offers. Freedom in Christ is different. It is the ability to simply tell the truth about ourselves, about the world, and about life. It's freedom to admit that we cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and nobody else can either. It's freedom to recognize that no, there is no such thing as a self-made person. It's freedom to come to terms with our privileges and our deficiencies. But it is a freedom that also comes with responsibility. Much like becoming an adult, we realize we cannot just do what we want, when we want, over against the needs of someone else. And when we do enact our freedom in that way, we're faced with the fact that not only have we hurt another, we also sell a bit of our own souls for such freedom. But the freedom God offers through Christ is one that binds us together, not tears us apart. In Christ, we are free to challenge culture, 
to challenge those in power for the sake of the powerless. In Christ, we're free to let go of our indulgences and keep up with the neighbor and keeping up with the neighbor so that someone else could live more fully. In Christ, we're free to no longer run in 20 directions, trying to make sure that we have fulfilled every plan and every dream and every design and every desire, thinking that that will make us happy someday. We're free to care for ourselves as we care for others, making space for things like prayer and worship and downtime and play. We're free to not have everything we want so that all have what we all need. In Christ, we're free to change and to grow, to be different than the generations before us. We had these young people today who made promises before God in this congregation, promises to be active members of the body of Christ, to help others, to engage in scripture and communion, to proclaim this good news of freedom to the world, and to work for justice and peace for all. And those are really, really big promises if you stop and think about it. They're too big for any one person to carry alone. And I guarantee you that these young people will fail just as we all have failed. But it is the work of this congregation, of the whole body of Christ, to encourage one another, to help each other return to the promises that God has made to us, to walk with one another as God draws us again into a community that is free to proclaim freedom to the world. That's what it means to be the church to be free in order to be bound to one another. Because at the end of the day, freedom means nothing if we find ourselves alone, tired, and miserable. And that is what happens when we grasp at freedom as a right and not a gift from God, given to all the people of God for the purpose of God. So I want to share with you the story of Martin Niemöller. Most of you probably don't know that name, But maybe you've become familiar with one of his famous quotes. He says, First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Now, Niemöller did not start out with that mindset. He was a Lutheran pastor in Berlin during World War II. He was a conservative preacher, a fervent nationalist. He saw a connection between the throne and the altar, between patriotism and spirituality. He served in the Navy during the First World War and fulfilled his childhood dream. But when Germany lost that war in humiliation, his response was a hatred, a hatred of all things liberal and democratic. Niemöller was a staunch supporter of Nazi Germany and of Hitler, and though he wasn't finally imprisoned in 1939, it was only because he objected to Hitler's interference in the Lutheran Church. He really didn't have any qualms about Hitler's other activities and decisions. Eventually, though, Niemöller had changed. His views began to change. His ideals changed. He turned away from his anti-Semitism. He repented of his personal responsibility for not resisting Hitler, and his annihilation of the Jews and the people who defied him. In 1945, after the war had ended, he took his wife to Dachau to show her the cell where he had been imprisoned. And at Dachau, there was a plaque that had been erected, and it said, Here in the years 1933 to 1945, 238,756 people were cremated. He says, A cold shudder ran down my spine. It was the dates. 
Though he was in prison from 39 to 45, in which he had an alibi, he had an answer for all of those who died prior to that, from 33 to 39. And in the months and years that followed that time, Niemöller worked tirelessly to speak against such radical conservatism. He critiqued racism and apartheid. He became the president of the World Council of Churches, and he wrote that poem that so many of us are familiar with, the one in which our freedom from one another leads to destruction and hatred and death. And in the end, he chose to receive the gift of freedom in order to be a slave to Christ and the gospel, rather than to be enslaved by an ideology that would serve to be destructive at its core. Now, Paul tells us that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Justified by faith. To be justified is to be set free, to be restored to the capability of bearing the image of God within us. But I wonder, justified by faith, I wonder, Paul doesn't say that it's our faith that frees us. And I wonder if we've misread this for so long. I wonder if it's not so much our faith that frees us, but it's the faithfulness of Christ, because that word pistos in, in Greek, it means both faith and faithfulness. Maybe we have mistranslated this. And it's the faithfulness of Christ that has justified us, the faithfulness that was willing to go to the cross so that we could truly be free, free to follow him there. If Christ makes us free, then we are free indeed. We are free to care for each other without worrying about ourselves. We're free to welcome each other without worrying about protecting ourselves. We're free to talk to each other without fear of being vulnerable. We're free to die in Christ, with Christ, to Christ, so that we can live more fully every day without striving to save the world and save ourselves. We're free to recognize that when we are taking on too much for ourselves, that we can still prioritize all the things that are before us. God, family, community, self. And everything else falls away as extra. God sets us free to return and renew and change and reform without fear of death. God sets us free simply to live without fear. Period. Amen. <laughs>